Well, friends, now we transition to hearing the word of God to us today from our scripture reading in 1 Peter. But as we prepare to hear God's word to us this morning, let us first pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to hear your word, and prepare our hearts, O God, to obey your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, as you know, this summer we have been reading through the book of 1 Peter, and today we pick up in chapter 3. But before we read our scripture text, it's very important, crucial actually, that we, we remember what this text is. It was written as a letter by a particular church leader named Peter to a particular group of people in a particular time and place. So this letter, it has a context. And if we don't understand the context, we can easily misunderstand the letter. I know I've said this a million times before, as has Pastor Brandon, but let me now just give you a modern day example that might illustrate why this is so important to understand the letter in context. So right now, because of COVID-19, a lot of church leaders are writing letters or emails, <laughs> rather, to their congregations. And Brandon and I have been reading a lot of these letters to try to understand how best to lead this congregation. And a lot of these letters sound something like this. Uh, it's going to sound very familiar to you probably. They all have some kind of general template of this. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, as we begin to worship in person, we ask you to follow these guidelines. Please wear a mask if you are able. Stay six feet apart. Those who are most at risk, please stay home for your health. Children, please stay with your parents. Young children who can't mask um, are encouraged to stay home. Those are a, a general summary of what we've read some, from some other pastors. So it says, sincerely, your pastor to the congregation. Now, imagine... 2,000 years from now, someone reads this letter, which is uh, a letter from a church leader to a church, and they read this letter, and then they enforce these guidelines on their church. Hopefully by that time, COVID-19 will not be a problem. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Let's hope this thing passes as soon as possible. But you can imagine that a church 2,000 years from now enforcing everyone to follow these instructions, wearing a mask, distancing, not having very old people or very young people or those with health conditions present, it just wouldn't make sense, would it? I hope not. I hope not to be wearing this thing for, uh, for a whole lot, for, for years and years to come. I, I, I wouldn't like that, as I'm sure you would, probably wouldn't either. But those of us currently living in this COVID-19 pandemic context, we understand the reasoning for the guidelines, right? The reasoning that pastors give is the well-being of everyone, for those who are members of the church as well as for the community at large. The purpose of the guidelines is never, 
never to exclude, never ever to discriminate. Rather, the purpose is to love and to protect, especially to protect those who are most vulnerable. That's the reasoning behind the letters. Love, love of neighbor. That, my friends, is a key purpose behind what we are about to read in 1 Peter 3. It is love. It is love of all people, and it is protection of the most vulnerable, which in that day included women. Sometimes still does today. 1 Peter 3 is very similar to what we heard last week from 1 Peter 2 in regard to slavery. For women and slaves were in similar positions in their day, very vulnerable people groups. So all of these instructions that we are about to read, they have to be understood in context, or else we run the risk of gravely misusing God's word, just as we learned last week in relation to the text on slavery. So that's what we're going to spend a good chunk of this morning doing, is understanding the context of 1 Peter 3, and thus the reasoning behind these instructions given to Peter. Does that sound good? No nods, but I'm going to go forward anyway. <laughs> Two people are excited about it. <laughs> but of course, uh, we can't uh, dive into the context without actually knowing the text itself, right? So now, let us hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 3. We will read right now verses 1 to 7. I will be reading from the NRSV. Mm, hello. Sorry about that. I'll be reading from the NRSV, which is the same translation that's in your pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. Wives, in the same way, accept the authority of your husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by their wives' conduct when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Do not adorn yourselves outwardly by braiding your hair and by wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing. Rather, let your adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. It was in this way long ago that the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by accepting the authority of their husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. You have become her daughters as long as you do what is good and never let fears alarm you. Husbands, in the same way, show consideration for your wives and your life together, paying honor to the woman as the weaker sex, since they too are also heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. First of all, I just want to say that we're just on a regular preaching rotation, and <laughs> the texts are chosen for us beforehand, and I saw that this was up for me, and I thought, yay! <laughs> Just kidding, my feeling was anything opposite, and I tried to convince Brandon to, uh, to, to do a different text this morning, and we decided we would stick with the word. So, we're diving in this morning. Um, we are diving in. So, this is the word of the Lord. It is, it is. It is the word of the Lord. It is inspired. It is holy. It is God's word to us. 
but in order to understand it for our lives today, it has to be understood in context. Just as in the same way, the most often given command in uh, the letters to the churches is to greet one another with a holy kiss. So are we sinning today by not kissing one another every Sunday that we greet? Um, no, I don't think so. It was a contextual thing. Context is key. So the context of Peter's letter is very important. And I'm going to make the analogy like I did this morning for COVID-19. The context of Peter's letter is a pandemic. It's not a health pandemic caused by a bodily virus. It's a social pandemic. It's a social pandemic caused by distorted thinking. It's a virus of the mind, which leads to sickness of body and soul and society alike. There were actually two very wide sweeping social pandemics in Peter's day. One we heard about last week. It was racial ethnic discrimination, and that led to slavery. It was a, a deadly social pandemic, and we heard about that last week. A second virus that was sweeping the minds of the culture was patriarchy. Now, patriarchy is defined in the dictionary like this. It is a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. Patriarchy is a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. Every corner of the ancient world, as we know it, was infected with patriarchy. Men in power, women excluded. That was the social pandemic of the day. In patriarchal first century Rome, the context in which Peter was writing, let me give you some examples of what that looked like. So women had absolutely no rights whatsoever. So in law, the law said that women remained as a status of a child forever. They passed as the property of the father to the property of the husband. And the father and the husband had the right even of life or death over the woman. He could sell her, kill her, whatever he wanted to do, that was his right because she was his property. A typical Roman named Cato wrote this. If you were to catch your wife in an act of infidelity, you can kill her with impunity without a trial. But if she were to catch you, the husband, she would not venture to touch you with a finger, and indeed she has no right. That was the law. All the obligation was on the wife. All the privilege was with the husband. Does it make you kind of bristle? <laughs> Don't worry, there's good news coming. Peter's word is good news into this social pandemic, I, I promise you. But I'm going to go on to help us understand our, context, our, our text even fuller. So, in that culture, the men who were in charge said that the duty of the woman was, quote, to remain indoors and to just be obedient to her husband. It was a sign of a good woman, they said, that she must see as little hear as little and ask as little as possible, be seen and not heard. She was to have no kind of independent existence, no kind of mind of her own, and her husband could divorce her almost at whim. That was the world of patriarchy. 
That is the world into which Peter is writing. And in this setting, it's interesting to note where women were to be seen and not heard, no rights, no participation in public life, what are women going to do with their time? <laughs> it was a real problem. What do they do with their time? So the men said, we'll give them something to keep them occupied. We'll give them the world of fashion. <laughs> they can spend all the time and energy they want making themselves beautiful, making their clothing beautiful, their hair beautiful. We will give them that. It will keep them occupied. That will keep them satisfied. They can have fashion. A, a direct quote from Lucius Valerius in first century Rome wrote this. Why should men grudge women their ornaments, which was meant jewelry and hairstyles, and their dress? Women cannot hold public offices or priesthoods or gain triumphs. They have absolutely no public occupations. What then can they do but to devote their time to adornment and dress? Biblical commentator William Barclay goes on to write this. Undue interest in self-adornment was then as it still is, a sign that the person who indulged in it had no greater things to occupy her mind. And that's how those in power wanted it. Let's keep them occupied with fashion, and they won't get involved in the other parts of life. Is it making you bristle at all? <laughs> you can see why I didn't want to preach this text. But it has to be said because so many times this text is misunderstood, because, well, I'll get there. So, I'm keeping you on the edge of your seats, right? So that's the context into which Peter was writing these instructions to wives and husbands. It is the context of patriarchy. While men were the ones leading religion and politics and education, women are shoved into one very small corner, which is fashion. Now the women, as you can imagine, because this is the only area that they're given control over, they took it very seriously. Very, very seriously. Fashion and beauty became their whole worlds. They went overboard with new dress and hairstyles and jewelry, and this is what they started to place their value in, is what they looked like, and this is how they started to value other women, what they looked like. It wasn't on how they thought or believed, their convictions, even their actions, it was what they looked like on the outside. And yes, I'm still talking about first century Rome. Because all of this far too easily resonates with some parts of American culture today, does it not? The consequences of the pandemic of patriarchy still plague us today. It's still making us sick. It is still causing us to be a world in which women are seen as their value based only on what they look like, not their convictions, their will, what they have to offer to society. It's a sickness in church, in family, in society, in our souls. And it is a sickness that God wants to heal. Patriarchy is not God's intention. Scripture is actually very clear about that. But we have to read Scripture in context, just as we have to read this passage in context. And I'll unpack that more in a bit. 
But right now, let's return to 1 Peter 3 to understand these instructions that Peter gives within that cultural context that I just explained of first century Rome, a world of patriarchy. So you have that kind of view in your mind of, of men and women interactions, yes? So in that context, something brand new comes to the surface. You know what that something brand new was that swept in in the first century? Can you take a guess? Christianity. Christianity, hot off the press in the first century. It is a new way of thinking, a new way of believing, a new way of living. And every day, new converts were trying to figure out just what this meant. What did the Christian life mean? Yes, of course, it meant life after this life. Of course, eternal life, that is part of the Christian message, huge part of the Christian message. But it is also about life here and now. And Christianity, it was majorly confronting life here and now. It was majorly confronting the social structures of the day, including those of ethnic discrimination and slavery that we heard about last week, and patriarchy. Because the Christian gospel declares, as is written in Galatians 3.28, that in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith, for all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that gospel declaration given by Paul isn't meant to say that there are no differences between men and women that there were no differences between Jews and Gentiles. There were differences. But he's saying that the, their value, their worth, their roles in society were to be equal, equal standing. Because you see, when Jesus came, he didn't obey any of the social structures, did he? If you look at his life, it was insane what he was doing. In regard to women, he was talking to women everywhere. He was calling women by themselves to think and believe for themselves, to follow him no matter what. When Jesus arose from the dead, he appeared first to women, which was in that day absolutely crazy. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has kept it up ever since, calling women of all ages to love and serve him, even when their husbands or fathers don't. That was unheard of then. And it is very good news. It is very good news that the gospel calls all people, that Jesus doesn't call us based on our outward appearances, our ethnicity, our social status. Jesus doesn't care about, uh, Jesus doesn't look at that kind of stuff when he calls us. Jesus calls all people. But in the first century, that very fact caused a lot of problems. <laughs> it especially caused problems for wives who accepted the call of Christ when their husbands didn't yet believe. This happens all the time today, right? A, a couple, one spouse accepts Christ before the other one, and it causes tensions, right? But back then, it caused some major tensions. For the husband, it was no big deal. If a husband converted before his wife, 
he was just expected to give his beliefs to everyone in the family. His wife was expected to follow along. No questions asked. She was just supposed to do whatever he said. So he becomes a Christian. She automatically becomes a, a part of the church, too. That's how it was. But for wives, in patriarchy, for wives who converted first, it was a lot more complicated. It was dangerous, in fact. It could be a lethal decision. If a wife were to suddenly say that she believed something new, different from her husband, the husband had free range on how he reacted to that. He could divorce her. He could throw her out with no money, no home, no way of making it on her own. Or he could just keep her within the home and abuse her physically or verbally or both in order to put her back in her place. And yes, I'm still talking about first century Rome. But sadly, this kind of treatment of wives still occurs far too often today, does it not? The consequences of patriarchy are still with us. And it is with this context in mind that Peter writes his instructions to wives to accept the authority of their husbands in verses 1 to 6. The reasoning is exactly the same as Peter's words to slaves that we heard about last week. When Peter told slaves to accept the authority of their masters, even the masters who are harsh. The reasoning, if you recall from last week, is twofold. The first is very important. Peter cares about non-Christians. God cares about non-Christians. The non-Christian husbands, the non-Christian slave owners. Peter wants these non-Christians to receive the good news of the gospel. Back then, Christianity, remember, was brand new. Not a lot of people yet knew the story. And Peter saw that wives and slaves within the household of a non-Christian could have a huge influence. So Peter is eager for these non-Christian husbands, for these non-Christian slave owners to have their lives changed, to receive the gospel. And the second reason for these instructions is that Peter also cares about the Christians for the wives and slaves who were converting before their husbands and masters. Peter understands what's at stake, and Peter is trying to protect these vulnerable groups. So Peter encourages the slaves, and he encourages the wives to take a savvy, contextual approach. Don't go out there just trying to overthrow the current power structures. Rather, work within them for the spread of the gospel. It's a savvy, contextual approach. These instructions of 1 Peter were given for the well-being of the believing wives as well as for the unbelieving husbands. They are for the well-being, for the love of all people, Christians and non-Christians alike. That is the purpose behind them. But as I said before, these instructions must be read within context, within the context of the brutal pandemic of patriarchy. Because the goal of these instructions was never to keep Christians stuck 
in the pandemic of patriarchy. Just as the instructions that church leaders are giving now to mask or distance or whatever it may be, the goal is never to keep things like that forever. Amen? We don't want to be doing this forever. The goal is not to keep them there, but to move them out of it safely with everyone in mind. It is to move them toward, in Peter's case, to move them toward equality for all people. Safely, with respect and love. Recall Galatians 3.28, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is God's intention for humanity. So right now we're going to, to pause and unpack that for a minute because it's a, it's a big question. And I understand a lot of people might have their feathers ruffled or have confusion. And if you want to talk more, there's, there's a lot more that we can go into. Um, but if you ever want to talk more, just let me know and we can, we can dive deeper. But for today, I first just want to give you a quick overview of the biblical context. Because remember, context is important. We can't just cherry pick verses here and there and try to get them to say what we want to say. We have to look at the whole context. So the whole context of scripture is equality for all people. And that includes gender equality. So to help us understand that, we have to go back to the very beginning, to the creation and fall in Genesis 1 through 3. So let's revisit that just for a moment, because remember, context is key. In Genesis 1 through 3, set the context for all that follows. So Genesis 1, the very beginning of the story, we're told that God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, to both of them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And God saw that it was good. God's good creation is one of male and female, both made in the image of God, both called to rule the earth together. That is God's good creation. The second account, Genesis 2, it's where some people get tripped up. So let me just address it real quick. So in this account, God makes Adam first. And then in Genesis 2.18, God says, I will make him, Adam, a helper as his partner. And many people have used that to say that, see, the man is first, the woman is second. And that's how it should be lived out throughout, um, throughout history. But that's a grave misunderstanding of this word, helper. People don't fully understand what this word helper means in the Hebrew, in the context it was written. So the Hebrew word for helper is the word etzer. You want to say it with me? It's really fun. Etzer. Etzer. <laughs> yeah. So etzer, it absolutely in no way signifies one who is weaker and meant only to serve another person. Rather, its meaning is a strong individual who comes along to the aid of someone weaker. Now, I, I think men and women are the same. I think this was trying to, never mind, I'll, <laughs> that'll be a long tangent if I go into it. We can talk about it later if you want to. It, this word etzer, it was used 21 times in the Old Testament. 
16 times, you know who it referred to? 16, 16 out of 21, the word Esther is used to name God. Esther is a use, the word used to name God when God came to the aid of his people who were in trouble. So God comes in as the strong one to help his people who are in trouble. That is what Esther is used for. Two other times, Esther is used to describe Eve. So Esther, helper, it does not mean second class, subordinate, weaker, less than. No. If we apply that to women, then in good biblical scholar fashion, we also have to apply that to our explanation of God. Is lesser, weaker, only there to meant to serve us. And that is very problematic. Do you see where I'm going with this? Okay. So where then did this patriarchal view develop? The view of the Roman culture that said that women are supposed to rule while women stay silent in their homes. Well, the Bible also has an explanation for that, and it comes right after chapter 2 in Genesis. It's Genesis 3. It's called the fall. So when sin enters the world, part of the curse the curse of sin for Eve is that your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Men ruling over women is a result of the fall. That doesn't happen until the fall. Because of sin, this beautiful equal partnership that we see in the beginning that is good, it becomes broken and lost. Does that make sense? Genesis 1 through 3, a little overview, context. But lest we think that it's only the surrounding culture that has been infected by sin, let's be very clear that God's people have also been deeply engrossed in this sin of patriarchy. Just read the Old Testament. If you have children, I would urge, or grandchildren who are reading the Bible on their own, I would encourage you to read it along with them, to help them explain some things, because it can be very troubling for little boys and little girls. Because women of the Old Testament, if you've ever read it, <laughs> it's really sad. They're treated like garbage. Even Abraham, who is up upheld as this exemplar of faith, even in our passage for today, do you remember what he did to his wife, Sarah? He gave her away twice pretending that she was his sister in order to save himself. <laughs> and don't forget that, uh, that Abraham, he also slept with his slave girl in order to produce a child. And that's just beginning of the atrocities that were committed against women, the sins and consequences of patriarchy and slavery. And that definitely includes God's people. So you have to understand the Old Testament and its treatment of women in context. It is a context plagued with patriarchy, and it's making them sick. But then Jesus comes on the scene. If your little girls are having trouble reading the treatment of women, skip them ahead to Jesus <laughs> to help read those in context of Jesus. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, things change. When Jesus comes on this scene, he comes to take away the curse, to take away sin. Jesus comes to restore humanity to his original design, and that includes equal partnership between women and men. 
No more subordinating people of ethnic groups, slaves, women. He is having none of that. In Christ, all the dividing walls of hostility are broken down. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is very good news to all of us. So with that biblical overview of the context of Scripture and Jesus' role in redeeming humanity, how then do we read 1 Peter 3? Well, first note what Peter does not say. He does not say, wives, overthrow your husbands, because that was the temptation of a lot of abused women. <laughs> Jesus said, we're free, let's get out of here. <laughs> first of all, Peter recognizes that that's very dangerous for them. They don't really have a lot of places to go. And second of all, Peter does not want the oppressed to become the oppressor. For women to start belittling men, he just doesn't want the tables to just turn. That's, that's not it at all. Peter says, accept the authority of your husbands or submit to them, as other translations put it. But also, also, husbands in the same way show consideration for your wives in your life together, paying honor to the woman. Or as other passages word it, husbands also submit to your wives. Mutual submission between wife and husband. That is God's intention for the spousal relationship. As Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not one above the other, mutual submission under the lordship of Christ. So then what do we do about this part about the weaker sex in verse 7? We just need to clear something up. Peter here, he's referring to the physical makeup of men and women. For the most part, men's physique is stronger. I have tried to uh, outlift Brandon several times. No matter how hard I try, <laughs> he is, he's just always going to be stronger than me. Hopefully, nothing happens, makes him... Uh, our bodies shift so that he, I have to do all the hard lifting because I don't really like to do that. But, <laughs> and of course we know there's not, that's not always true. There are a lot of wives who uh, could easily outlift or outrun their husbands. We know it's not always the case. But in general, we know that men are generally built stronger than women physically. Though I'm also guessing that Peter never saw a woman give birth because I'm guessing that he would have nuanced this statement just a little bit. Right, women? <laughs> So this, we, this phrase, the weaker sex, it does not mean, it does not mean that women are weaker intellectually or spiritually or emotionally or in any other sense of the term. Unfortunately, a grave sin in the church is that men and women alike have read this passage to say that women are weaker in these ways and therefore should not serve in roles of leadership, whether in the society or in the family or in the church. That is a gross misinterpretation of the text and one that needs to be repented of. If we're talking about a weightlifting competition, sure. <laughs> if we're talking about intellectual or spiritual or emotional issues, that is not a fair use of this text. With that being said, 
Let's finally look at these verses three to four, because Peter's doing something interesting here that we miss sometimes. It's the interesting bit about women not adorning themselves outwardly by braiding their hair or wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing, but rather letting their adorning be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Does this mean that we're, we ladies are sinning by braiding our hair? I hope not because I braid my hair almost every single day to keep the girls from pulling on it. <laughs> And I have this beautiful ring that my mother-in-law gave me that is part gold. That is not the, the point of this passage. The point is that Peter is challenging the status quo of women. He is challenging them to step outside of this tiny little box that society has placed them in. Do you remember that bit about patriarchy in first century Rome? that women were told, this is your world, fashion. Spend all your time and energy on your clothing and your hair and your jewelry, and women went overboard with it. He's saying, that is not your only place in life. Society's telling you that your value is found here, in this little box of what you look like. And he says, get out of that box. You are infinitely more valuable than that. Your spirit is infinitely precious in God's sight. So cultivate that. Cultivate your spirit, Peter says, which also necessarily means cultivating your mind and your will. That word stands true today. Heartland, let us be a church that encourages our women of all ages, starting even very little, to learn that their value is not just in what they look like, or what they wear, if they're up to code on whatever the fashion statements are. They are infinitely more precious than that. Let us call out the beauty of their spirits and encourage them to cultivate their spirits, cultivate their minds, cultivate their wills, because they are precious in God's sight. Can we do that together? Yeah? All right. Well, I am going to close today in the same way that Peter closes this passage in verse eight, that Peter closes in verse seven. It's the same way that Pastor Brandon closed last week, and it is a it is a, a warning. Peter closes with a warning, and that warning is that our relationship with God can never be right if our relationships with other people are wrong. Our relationship with God can never be right if our relationships with other people are wrong. If we are mistreating others, our prayers will be hindered. If we are mistreating others, our prayers will be hindered. Peter warns us of that. Pastor Brandon shared last week about how if the church in America wants to survive, we must name and repent of the ways in which Christians have misused and abused scripture, including 1 Peter, to condone slavery and racial injustice. It is a grave sin of the church. In the same way, if we as the church want to survive, we must name and repent of the ways in which Christians have and continue to misuse scripture to condone the discrimination of women, including excluding them from roles 
of leadership. To devalue them, to belittle them, it is a sin. If we as individuals or as the church at large continue to injure women by keeping them silenced and subordinated, our prayers will be hindered. Our prayers for outreach, for evangelism, for witnessing to the world the love of Christ, it will be hindered. As with the issue of racial injustice, the problem of gender discrimination will cause the church to continue to decline as it has over the last 50 years, both in numbers and in overall spiritual health. So out of love for Christians and non-Christians alike, let us truly live into the gospel message that in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Christ has come to lift the curse of sin, to set us free, to live into the glorious beauty that he created for the world and for all humanity. Let us be witnesses of that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.